God, the song is our prayer. I mean, there's something about music, God, that always just seems to open up our hearts a little wider. So I thank you for the song. But man, like, when I'm singing it, I, if, if I'm honest, and I realize this first service too, that, I mean, I, I want to burn for you, but I don't always want the fire that it takes to get there. God, that I, I even just singing this song, I feel myself wanting to be hesitant um, and fully meaning it. Because if I allow you to come burn like a fire in my life, then I am fully trusting you with everything and, and knowing that you can even use challenging situations to teach me things I might not learn otherwise. And God, to get there, to sing this song with full sincerity, I know like, it, it, it means that I got to learn to trust you with everything I got. But I don't do that naturally. And Jesus, you tell us that your, your new command to us is that we would learn to love others and you as you love us. And I realized from that verse, God, that I cannot learn to trust you by manufacturing it myself. I can only learn to trust you by first looking at that marvelous, wonderful love that we just sang about two songs ago. And it's from the revelation of your love and grace and what you have done for us because you said no greater love than he who lays down his life for his friends. Well, you did that. And if that's the way you love us and that's the way we are to love you back with laying down our whole lives in trust to you. And so, Lord, I... As, man, I just keep watching this morning, the snow coming down gently upon the earth. And I just pray that your love and your grace would fall gently upon each person in this room. And that it will, as that reality sinks into us, that that will urge us to trust you more deeply and pray more sincerely that we are yours. And whatever it is that you want to do in us, we trust you with that because we want to burn for you. We want to be like you. We want to love like you. We don't want to play church, God. We want to be the church and we want to be a transformative presence in our society, God. We want to make a difference in this world to know that our lives are spent wholly, completely for you. But in order to get there, we got to go through the fire. And so, Lord, teach us how to trust you even in the fire. And so, man, if that's your prayer, even if, even if just part of you means that, I encourage you, put your hands out like they're open. Because we can't physically open our hearts or physically open our minds, but by opening our hands, we're saying, Lord, I open myself to you. So just repeat after me. Say, Lord, I open my mind to the reality of who you are and your love and grace. And Lord, I open my heart to who you are, to your love and grace for me. And so, Lord, we invite your spirit to come fall gently upon us. May you find open hearts here. And may you then transform us that we might burn brightly for you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys may have a seat. And thank you, worship team. And man, it is so good to be with you guys this morning. I have to ask, though, how many of you are a little bit sore because of the ice right now? Because I am. Like, I mean, I did not see that frozen ice underneath the snow this morning and whoop, right? Right? And I've, I've heard a few others of you might have had a similar experience. So, man, I hope healing to you. <laughs> um, but we, we're going to dive in today um, right back into the book of Jonah. But before I do, um, every, every time I share with you guys, I, I don't want to just come up here and talk about what God's Word says. Yes, that's part of it. But I also in some way, shape, or form want to share how God is using his word to, as we just sang, refine my life. And the hope is, is that if I can be honest about my own struggles, my own doubts, and how Jesus is using all of these things to refine me, then maybe in some way we could all learn to recognize more clearly how God wants to and is working in your life too. Because I know that when someone else is honest with me, it all of a sudden gives me permission to do the same. And I'm not at saying any of this so that you're going to tell everybody around you today your deepest, darkest secret. No, 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 no. Like, I'm just simply saying this because I, I want us to know that we have permission to at least be honest with the Lord about what we're dealing with and what we're going on. Because as Shelby said a second ago, we're all under construction. We're all broken and in need of Jesus. And sometimes I feel like we come to church and, and, and it's easy if someone's on a stage and talking and all this sort of stuff that, that you can feel like, oh man, he's up there and I'm down here. But if I can be honest about my struggles, then, then maybe we can all just come to Jesus together. <laughs> right? Instead of just coming to church, we can all come to Jesus and seek him together. And so that said... I wanted to open today um, just sharing a bit more about how the Lord is, is refining me and some struggles that I've been working through over these last few years, especially because they direct, relate directly to what I will be looking at in a moment. And over these last number of years, um, I've been struggling with something I, I call just downward spirals because I don't know what else to call it. A downward spiral is, is an is a emotional or mental you know, reaction, right, that, that seems to carry me down to not such a good place. They may last for a day, maybe two, sometimes longer, but mainly they're typically triggered for me uh, by an event or maybe my perception of an event, and especially when that event means that I messed up, didn't measure up, or perceive somebody believes that I didn't do measure up, right? You know, something like that. Maybe I hurt somebody. But it, overall, it's an area where I recognize that I fall short of some standard. And when I experience that, that emotional, spiritual, like, spiral typically happens because instead of going to God with it, I try to handle it myself, and fix myself. And I'll even get busy working for God, but just not with God. Meanwhile, my thoughts start hounding me for being a failure. And those thoughts trigger fear. 
And from fear then comes an anger, mainly at myself, mainly myself. Not you guys, okay? No one here. <laughs> myself. But at those lowest points, it feels like shame just kind of wraps itself around me. And the voice of shame often says in some way, if anyone really knew you, even God, then they wouldn't really love you. And if I'm believing that, then my reaction is to immediately close my heart off to God and to those closest to me. And guys, I have a patient, loving wife. Right? She's been a rock star. But as I work through that, man, I tend to close people off around me. And when I'm in that low, angry place, I know the Sunday school answer is talk to God about it. I know that. But in my heart and mind, I'm thinking, how can I? If I'm this disappointed in me, surely he is more. And frankly, I don't have time to talk to God right now because I'm too busy trying to fix myself. Right? And so when I get to this place, how am I going to climb out of it? And one thing I can say is that while I've experienced a lot of these over the last number of years, God has not wasted any of them in teaching me more deeply who he is and who I am in him. But I share this story with you to say that, yeah, to give hope if you're somebody who struggles with that. But I also am not sharing this story because I expect everybody in here to relate exactly with what I'm talking about. But maybe for some of you, you relate to at least part of it. Maybe you know the overwhelming feeling or burden of sin, shortcoming, or shame. Maybe you know what it's like to feel like you can't trust God with the things you care about the most, and so you got to handle it yourself. Or maybe you know what it's like to feel like you got to get so busy, you don't have time to talk to God about the things that are really near and dear to your heart. Or maybe you know exactly what it's like to close off your heart to him or somebody else. And if that's you, you relate to any of that, my question is, well, how's that worked out for you? It certainly hasn't worked out well for me. And if you relate to any of that, then I want us to see that the story of Jonah, man, I, I hope you see how much it speaks to you as it has to me. And we're picking up week two of this series. And if you were here with us last week, you remember we kicked off the beginning of the story of Jonah, where God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to you know, call out their wickedness and tell them about me. And Jonah says, nah, I think I'm good on my own. Right? I, I think I have better plans for my life. And so he books it in the opposite direction as fast and as far as he can until God sends a storm at sea to get his attention. And when Jonah realizes that that storm at sea is because of him, uh, the overwhelming guilt hits him and he tells the sailors, throw me overboard. They reluctantly eventually did. And as Jonah hits the water, he sinks down into the dark deep of the sea. Jonah has made his own grave. And at that point, as I'm, I'm sure, assuming, man, like this is the end for me. But that was not the end, according to God, for him. 
And listen, if you're somebody, you've been in that low place, and you know exactly what that spiral feels like or that low place feels like, God is not done with you either. That is not the end of your story. But we're going to look together and pick up our story right at the point after Jonah's been tossed into the ocean at Jonah 1, verse 17. And we're going to read to chapter 2, verse 10. And as we look at this, this is page 754 uh, in the blue, blue pewback <laughs> pew Bibles in front of you, 754. Um, we're going to start at uh, chapter 1, verse 17. But as we do, you know, sometimes like Jonah, God allows us to reach the end of ourselves, but that's not the end of our story, is it? And that's not the end of what he's doing in our lives. But we recognize that even when we are in the lowest of places, God wants to bring his new life and meet us in that. And we know that because God has already gone before us to the lowest of place, that is death. And when Jonah realizes who his God is, all of a sudden his heart overflows with gratitude and this psalm, this prayer, just kind of comes out of him. Even while... His circumstances still stink. <laughs> He's in the belly of a well. So let's read Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. We're going to read to chapter 2, verse 10. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah as he sunk in the sea. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple." And the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. And when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Everybody say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. How's that for an image? Lord, I pray that you take this word, your word, and you allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And you allow the words that we hear and share, Lord, to be from you. God, because if anything, any of this is from me, may that be thrown to the ground. But if whatever is from you, that's what we need for life. And so, Lord, may you speak in tangible, concrete ways to each person in this room, opening our hearts and our minds to all that you are. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So, it's safe to say Jonah's at an all-time low. You think you've had it bad? I mean, like he's sinking to the bottom of the ocean, right? And the moment he gets tossed overboard, it's almost like the sea was hangry, and it's got its fill, and then it just becomes calm. 
But under the weight of his shame and guilt, he sinks to the bottom. Now, if I was going to do a movie of Jonah, I think I would actually start the movie with this scene of him being tossed overboard and he starts sinking underneath the water because the first question in the viewer's mind is going to be, what happened? Like, what did he do to get to this place? And that's really the question that I want us to ask is, well, what did happen that brought him to such a low place? What are we to see in this? Let's start here. That if we insist on trusting in ourselves first, God will allow us to reach the end of ourselves. What's interesting in this story is that God commands the weather, the sea, the weird sea monster fish thing, and Jonah. Out of all four of those things, which ones obey God? The sea, the weather, the weird sea monster fish thing. Who doesn't obey God? Jonah, the human being. We're meant to see in this story that at least in this moment, the fish is actually smarter than Jonah. (laughs) Because it didn't even try to resist God. It wouldn't dare. It almost reminds me, when, when I see the way Jonah responds to this, it reminds me of a friend growing up who was challenging his dad. And his dad looked my friend in the eye and he said, Son, I don't know what reality you're living in, but it surely ain't this one. <laughs> right? And that's just it. Like, since the Garden of Eden, Each of us have lived under a warped version of reality that it is smarter to trust in ourselves than God. Rather than trust in God, we think, well, I should determine my own destiny. And it started in the garden. God said, Adam and Eve, don't eat of that tree. They said, no, I think it's actually a better idea to eat from it. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He says, no, I think it makes more sense that I run from you. God tells me, Kirk, lay down your burdens, man. It's like, nah, I think I can handle it all by myself. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom. And we say, nah, I think I want the good stuff now. Then in overall, like, while it's not very smart, though, when we trust in ourselves over God, what's the next logical step? That if we trust in ourselves first, then we learn to, we must learn to, depend on our own power and abilities, not God's. So the moment Jonah starts running, it's like, it's only up to Jonah to get himself where he wants to go. The weight of his fate is completely on Jonah's shoulders now, not God's. And this is the thing about us, is that God has given each of us Talents, you know, gifts, resources, relationships, and all the gifts that he's given us are intended to be things that we use to serve him. They're good gifts that we are meant to enjoy and serve him. But the moment we say, like, I got this without God, we start to look to those things to save us, to serve ourselves. That we start treating God's gifts instead of gifts to enjoy as our means to employ for our own ends. That when we insist on being the masters of our own destinies, it means that we now have to figure out how to leverage the, the abilities, resources, and relationships around us for our own ends. Otherwise, how are we going to fulfill them? 
right? And that God created us as image bearers of him, right? We learned that from Genesis. And part of that means that as the creator, we, he's also given us some ability to create things too. But when we want independence from God, when we're like, nah, I'm good, we start looking to the things that we create to fulfill and save us. And this very idea is what Scripture calls idolatry. And what Jonah means in chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, those who cling to worthless idols. That's what he's referring to. To put it another way, actually, I think there's a French theologian named Jacques Ellul who puts it much better than I can. He says, and listening close to this, man or humanity invents technical instruments, the state, society, money, and science. He also invents idols, or I can include celebrities, magic, philosophy, spiritualism, And all these things give him hope in himself that he can direct his own life and control his destiny. Now, are the state, society, money, are these bad things? No. But they become warped when we start to look to them as our source of hope that we can control our own lives. You guys tracking with me so far? Are you okay? All right. And what happens now? Again, following the logical steps. What happens now when we insist on trusting in ourselves and we have to figure out how to leverage our own abilities to do that? Is we become way inward focused. And as we become self-absorbed, we close our hearts off to God and his love. Jonah says this, Jonah 2.8, again, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And the moment Jonah ran, that was the moment his ears became deaf to God's voice. His eyes became blind to what was happening in him. And his eyes became blind to what was happening to the sailors around him. Not to mention, he didn't give a lick about what was going to happen to the Ninevites, which we're going to talk about next week and the week after. That's really more chapter 3 and 4. But man, I've noticed the same thing in myself. That those times that I feel like all the weight of the world depends on me, and that all things like come back to me, or I use things to serve me, man, I become hyper-focused on me. And I can't even see what's happening in me. Or have the energy to stop and focus on how I can love my wife, my kids, or those around me. And I've noticed that's the pattern every time I start to spiral down, as I just start to spiral inward. But if we trust in ourselves, there are repercussions of that. There are consequences that come from that. And in the end, if we insist on trusting ourselves, God will allow us to experience the consequences of the path we choose. Jonah wanted to run to the sea, so God said, the sea you got. And as he hits the water, Jonah recounts it like this. You hurled me into the depths. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Or chapter 2, verse 6. The earth Barred me in forever. 
And man, there's something we got to understand about the Hebrew mind like Jonah's and how they understood the sea. Because see, the sea was, or at least represented to him, the underworld. Or, or what the Old Testament refers to as Sheol. And see, to try, to try to get at how they got at that, in, in the Hebrew mind, God was a God of order. He created the world. But when they looked out at the ocean, it was a restless place of waves and disorder, sea monsters, and evil. And so they assumed that the, there was something foreboding about the sea. And if that's the way the sea was, then the subterranean ocean must be the lowest place there is on earth, must be the place of the dead. And so Jonah, as he is sinking down into the sea, literally sees himself as one being banished from the presence of God, headed to the underworld. I mean, if he ran from God, from the presence of God, isn't that what he wanted? And as I wrestle with this passage, man, I realize, like, Scripture does tell us that there is a place called hell. I couldn't tell you geographically where it is. But I know wherever it is, is where God is not. And if we choose to live our whole lives running from God, then we will tragically spend an eternity without him, for that is the end that we sought. But if you hear anything, hear this. That is not the way it has to be for any of us. Any of us. That even in this life, God allows us to experience the consequences of trusting in ourselves so that in this life, we might be awoken to the reality of who he is, turn to him, humble ourselves, and cry out to him just like Jonah did. But when we humble ourselves and when we place our trust in him, ultimately, what happens? What happened to Jonah? This is when it gets good. That in the deepest of pits, the Lord hears you. <laughs> he is able to save you. And he still loves you. All Jonah's running led to this moment where he is now engulfed in the cold waters. And the shame of his choices are pulling him deeper into the dark. He is at the end of himself. Maybe some of you know what that feels like. But in essence, his warped, self-reliant reality, <laughs> it wasn't looking so clear anymore when you get to the end of yourself. Anybody been there? And when Jonah didn't want to talk to God in the boat, all of a sudden something changes when he gets in the deep. And he starts remembering who his God is, and he begins to call out to God even there. And I just want to say right now, that parents, grandparents, or if you got a loved one who is not walking with Jesus, who's walking far away from God, and man, you're wondering if all the seeds of faith that you've planted in them were wasted over the years, I'm telling you, no, they weren't. Because you never know when the day's going to come when God's going to bring somebody to the end of themselves, and they're going to call out to God, and there's going to be a radical shift in their lives. So keep praying. 
Keep praying. But even when Jonah made his own grave, God was waiting there to rescue him. For where can we go from his spirit? Where can we flee from his presence? That if we go to heaven, he is there. And if we make our own beds in the depths, he's there. And so Jonah, sinking down from the deep, calls out to help for God. And God heard him there. And he's listening to your sincere cries too. And when he was barred in, he said, by the consequence of his own sin, God brought his life up from the pit, and he's able to do the same in your life. And when he was in that wretched place, he called to the Lord. But even there, he knew that he would one day see the holy temple of God, that even in the lowest place, that one day he would view the glorious presence of God. So no matter where you are, No matter what you've done, when you call out to the Lord, one, he hears you. Two, he is able to rescue you. And three, he wants to bring you back into right relationship with him. And how do we know that? This is a story for Jonah. How do we know it's a story for us? Because God himself has already gone ahead of us into death to make a way for all of us to life. There's this really interesting passage in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, where Jesus is speaking, and he references Jonah. And he says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, the Son of Man was a title that he gave to refer to himself. He said, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Like, what in the world does that mean? See, in essence, Jesus is, our, is telling all those listening ahead of time, he says, I'm coming, but I'm coming to be the greater Jonah. That instead of running from God and warped self-reliance, Jesus chose to obey God in loving self-sacrifice. That though Jesus never ran from God, he chose to take our cross, our sin, upon his shoulders and walk toward Golgotha. And even though he didn't deserve death, Jesus chose to die in our place, to go to the grave. But because the prison of hell had no claim on him, the gates of hell could not hold him. And on the third day, he burst out of that grave, holding the keys of death in his hands, pioneering the way of life for every one of us who would place our trust in him. You see, man, Jesus descended to the pit of hell and he came back with the keys so that all who call on him may know that salvation comes from the Lord. And God even promised this would happen through a prophet named Hosea, which is a, close to this book of Jonah. God promised, I will deliver this people from the power of grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? That's what he promised in the Old Testament. But then Paul in the New Testament realized in that moment, whoa, God's fulfilling this in Jesus. And when he saw that the resurrection of Jesus is the exact fulfillment of that, he shouts, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your 
sting. And all of this means that to God, you are no longer just to him the sum of all your failures. But he loves you so much that he would take on human flesh, that he would go to the lowest place of suffering death to rescue you as he burst out of the grave himself on the third day. And when we get all of that, man, when that really dawns on us, something happens in us, just like something happened in Jonah. Because realize, Jonah has this psalm, he's still in the belly of the fish. But even there, something happens in him. And when God's grace overwhelms our guilt, our hearts overflow with gratitude. So there in the belly of the fish, the fish God sent to rescue him, Jonah prayed this psalm, this prayer, this grateful praise. Because when he expected death, God gave him life. And he said, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And what's interesting is that word for salvation here is the Hebrew word Yeshua. And if you know anything about that, That's the Hebrew word for Jesus. It's all pointing back to him. It's all pointing back to him. And even though Jonah's circumstances still stunk, his heart was full of gratitude. Again, he's still in the belly of the fish. And what that reminds me is that when God saves us, It doesn't mean that our lives become immediately glamorous. Calling out to Jesus isn't a magical formula that just fixes all the problems brought about by the consequence of our past action. Right? Sometimes God allows us to experience at least part of that consequence. But what did happen within Jonah, what did change in him, was that his mind was brought back from that warped reality to the reality of God. And his heart was opened to God's love for him. And there is something that happens in us when we get a glimpse of the endless grace and love of God for us. Even in that low place, especially in that low place, all of a sudden our hearts start to trust him more deeply. And trust begins to eclipse our stubborn pride. And we realize, actually, I'm not the master of my destiny. God is. And that's way better. And then if he's the master of my, if that's the case, then I don't need to strive all the time, always calculating how to leverage like my resources, my relationships, and all these things toward my ends. Because he has me, and he's with me, and he has a plan for my life. Now I can see the relationships, the people, the resources, the abilities as a good gifts from God to enjoy, and things to be used as an exclamation of love and service back to him. Because when we realize that none of what we have is what we deserve, It opens our hearts to the joy of gratitude. One of my favorite quotes I've read in the past several weeks comes from a New York Times columnist named David Brooks. And he says, Gratitude is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes about after some surprising 
kindness. Isn't that beautiful? It's the laughter of the heart from a surprising kindness. And for us, that surprising kindness is the reality that Jesus descended to the pit of hell and he came back with the keys so that all who call to him may know salvation comes from the Lord. And so, man, if your life is anything like mine, I get it. The day has come when the weight of the world feels heavy. Fear creeps in and we get totally like inward focused. We forget about God's love. We try to carry it all on our own. Some days, frankly, maybe we just wake up and we're sad or we're overwhelmed. And it could be because of something we did or maybe it's just the fact that we live in the midst of a broken world. Some days, I don't want to talk to God. (laughs) Can he say that? I don't want to because I'm angry, I'm in a hurry, or I don't feel worthy. I'm trying to solve the world's problems right now, God. Other days, I love to take credit that I'm such a good person. Even though it's God's work he's been doing in me, like I like to think it's me. And any of those scenarios, the surprising kindness of God starts to go in the back of our minds and, and all of a sudden the, the gratitude becomes overshadowed. But it's in this moment that we see Jonah turns to prayer, and prayer becomes the way by which Jonah opens his mind again to God's reality and his heart to his love. That prayer is not a formula, right? It's not about saying the right words as much as it is the conscious choice to pause in our own pits of anger, sadness, pain, or pride to remember how patient, kind, faithful, and loving God has been to us. Prayer is where we learn to lay down those things that want to close our hearts to him. And we thank him that he never closed his to us. Prayer is where we allow the reality of God's grace to break down our warped self-reliance so gratitude can flow again. And guys, even if our circumstances still stink... When gratitude is flowing, we know what it's like to really live. Jesus descended to the pit of hell, and he came back with the keys so that we can all know what? Salvation comes from the Lord. And so as I close, I want this time to be a time where we we pray. And I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer together as a church. We're not going to rush it, right? Because too much of my life is rushed. I don't know about yours. But we're going to stop. And I'm going to begin just by thanking God for who he is. What is that? Opening our minds to his reality. And then after I thank God for who he is, I'm going to pause and I'm going to let you do the same in your own way where you are. It can be loud. It can be soft. It can be like whatever. Like just your own way where you are. And after I thank God for who he is, then I'm going to lead us in a prayer where I just confess to God the ways that I've tried to close my heart to him and confess the ways I've tried to run my own life. And then I'm going to pause and give you guys a chance to do the same. And third, we would be missing it if we didn't stop just to thank God for his grace 
and his love and the ways he keeps picking us up time and time again. And so I'm going to ask you guys to join me in that as well at the end. But can we stand together? And Lord God, we begin, or we continue really, praising you and thanking you for who you are. That you are the holy, almighty creator of the universe. That it is by your architecture, your design, that we are alive and that we have breath in our lungs. That you are the one who created physics and science and makes it all work beautifully within your design. God, that you are God who has been patient and loving and kind to us in all seasons. I thank you that you are capital L love and that you are capital T truth. And that there is nothing beyond you, outside of you, too hard for you or beneath you. And we thank you, God, that you have done everything required that salvation comes from you. And so now I open it up to you guys. Just take a moment and just thank God for who he is. And Father, forgive me for the times that I've sought to take credit for your work in my life. Forgive me for the times that I've grown entitled to the gifts that you've given me. The times that I am truly ungrateful because, frankly, I'm scared. The times that I've closed my heart to you or to others around me. I know that's not what you want for me. And so, Lord... I confess that to you. And I ask you guys now just to take a moment on your own. Just talk to him about those things. And Lord, we thank you that when we deserve death, you gave us life. Thank you, Lord, for the surprising kindness of grace. Surprising kindness doesn't even seem like it fully encapsulates the grandeur of what you've done for us. Man, it's shocking salvation. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. That you're God who, who comes in the lowest of place, the most dead of places to bring life, to sow your seeds of life and truth. And so, God, we invite you to come do the same again in our lives. Even if we came in here feeling good or feeling low, will you come and do it again in our lives? Because we know you're the God who turns graves into gardens. God, that, that's who you are. 
And I thank you for the ways that you're moving and working right now among us. In your holy name we pray and everybody said, amen.